is uh, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention has a Christmas offering called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. You probably don't know what Lottie Moon looks like. She was in that video. Um, if, if, you, if you've seen her picture before, you recognized it when she went by. Uh, she's one of those missionaries that um, went to China in the days that you got on a ship with your steamer luggage and planned to never come back. And in fact, she did never come back. She died on the field um, having shared the gospel in China over a number of years. Um, and so they named the offering after her. Oh, what a beautiful thing to have uh, an international missions offering named after a missionary that gave their life on the field. Uh, so for a couple of reasons, I wanted to show this video. First of all, I'm always praying that the Lord draws out of this congregation people who are willing to give their lives for the cause of Christ, whether it's uh, in Elmwood Park, whether it's in Illinois, United States, or somewhere else around the world. Um, that really is the calling, that we lay everything down and offer it to God to be used the way He chooses to use it. Um, the other reason I played it is because the uh, Christmas offering is coming up. Uh, we haven't set a goal. I'm going uh, to need to check what we did last year. We're going to set, a, I think, a pretty ambitious goal for this year. Um, we didn't talk about it this last week in the leadership team meeting, but we'll look at what we gave last year, and we'll come up with a goal that's higher than that. Um, we'll do that by next Sunday. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the week of prayer for international missions. That lasts eight days, um, Sunday through Sunday. Uh, so we'll be profiling some different missionaries both of those Sundays with some videos. Um, I'll be sending out a daily prayer reminder. Uh, the International Mission Board has a really nice two-side PDF. I'm just going to put it into a, an email, drop it in there, and I'll send that by email. I'll also send you texts to remind you to take a look at that. So for each day of next week, starting next Sunday through the following Sunday, you'll get an email every day with a little guide about missionaries around the world to pray for. Uh, and then from that Sunday forward through Christmas and maybe into January, we'll see. We always go a little longer with our Christmas offering. Um, we'll be taking offering. There'll be a special envelope. We'll put some in the chairs. We'll put some in the back. Uh, if you can't find one of the special envelopes, you're always going to be able to grab a regular envelope. Uh, and when you put a check in there, you can write Lottie Moon Christmas offering, Christmas offering, international missions, whatever you want to put, just so that it's noted if you want to write one check and you want to split it, just put it in the memo of the check. You know, 50% is for the church, uh, EPCC, 50% for Lottie Moon or, or, or International Missions, however you choose to do that. Um, but this, again, is something that's dear to our heart. Um, and there are uh, missionaries all over the world today uh, serving, and they're not going to be home for Christmas. They're not going to be home for Thanksgiving. Uh, they're not going to be home sometimes for another year or two or three when we went, we stayed for three years before we came back. And uh, one of the reasons the International Mission Board does that is because if you come home at year one, a lot of people don't want to go back again. Um, it's tough. Uh, and they want you to be on the field long enough to get past the culture shock, get past uh, the, the trauma, really, of leaving everything behind and going to the field. Um, so if you think about it, in the next week, before the, the week of prayer starts, you think about international missionaries on the field while you're enjoying your Thanksgiving and your football and your families, um, pray for those who are far flung in countries all across the world that don't get to come home uh, for Christmas and for Thanksgiving, all right? Um, we're gonna turn now to our message. Um, this is a really good one. It's all been really good, I don't know, in my opinion. Um, the, the book of Philippians has really been fascinating, and I hope that it has been feeding you uh, and challenging you uh, 
uh, as much as it has me. And there are going to be some more challenges today, some things to think about. We're beginning chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4. But before we get there, we're going to talk, we're talking about being and doing, and then we're going to unpack these four verses because Paul talks a lot about being and doing. Uh, but it's all in this greater context of unity, unity in the body of Christ. Um, and so the body of Christ is designed and put together by God to work amazingly well, seamlessly, lovingly supporting one another, every part working exactly as it should, uh, every person in the body loving one another uh, more than they love themselves, loving their community, loving their God. Um, but it doesn't always look like that in a church, does it? A lot of us have been in churches long enough to know that that sounds great, but that's not always what church looks like. Systems should work well together. God designed our body in an amazing way, made up of systems that all have to work together for the body to work properly. Uh, I printed out a little thing here. It's got all the systems, well, maybe most of the systems of the body. I just want to read you real quickly the systems of the body, their function, and then we'll talk about uh, the scripture. So we have the respiratory system, primarily uh, involved with breathing, cardiovascular circulatory with blood, circulation, digestive for processing food, the endocrine system for hormone production, urinary system for waste elimination, reproductive system for reproducing, nervous and sensory system for communicating between all of the coordinated systems of the body, the integumentary system, which protects against damage as skin, hair, nails, muscle and skeletal systems, and the hemopoietic lymphatic system. I'm sure somebody knows what that is, but it says blood production, maintenance of fluid, balance, and defense against disease. Now, all these systems in the human body have to work well together for the human body to thrive, right? If any one of these is out of balance, broken, uh, compromised in some way, uh, what happens? The body suffers, right? If enough of them are out of balance enough, what you, you can end up actually dying, correct? Now, it's the same in the body of Christ. There's a lot of structures in the church. There's a lot of parts in the body that God put together. Um, and you can see some of the parts at work this morning. You have people who are leading worship, people who are uh, leading and talking about offering. We talk about the leadership team who is behind the scenes talking about um, where the church is going and what the vision is and what the Lord is leading us to do as a body. And we bring that before the body and, and say, hey, body, this is where we feel like the Lord's leading and the body prays through that. And then they all agree, yes, that's the way we're going to go. Let's all go. Um, we have uh, parts of the body that teach, right? We have people today teaching kids. Uh, you have people today teaching adults. When any one of those parts of the body of Christ suffers in its function, what happens? The body suffers, right? Um, the body of Christ can become fractured. It can become ununified. It can become uh, a, a system that rubs against itself in certain places and causes problems. If enough systems in the body of Christ, a local body of the church, are, are broken or in disarray, what can happen? Same thing as the human body. Church can die. We talked about that last night. This church is dying all over the United States. All over the world, churches are dying and closing. It happens. Um, and so Paul, in turning to chapter 2, uh, is encouraging us and starts out, let's just read this together in Philippians 2, 
verses 1 through 4, he says, So if there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Heavenly Father, Lord, open the words of your scripture today that Paul has written in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, to our minds, to our hearts, to our souls, uh, to this church, to this body, Lord, that we might learn from it and be compelled to find unity together as a body of Christ, serving you and this community and the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So he starts off with these four verses, and depending on the translations you're reading, some have two doing statements and some have three. I'm going to go with the three um, because the NIV at the very beginning says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So we're going to unload and unpack these three being statements. So the first being statement that we want to unpack today is that we are to be united with Christ. That's something that that typifies and exemplifies the body of Christ, that, that the, the parts as they function together, whether it's uh, parts that are serving quietly behind the scenes or parts that are out in front leading and directing, um, whatever parts those are, I mean, we have other parts. I didn't mention all the parts. We have parts that clean the building. You guys, the, we never see that happen, right? We have parts that make coffee and get stuff ready for, for events. We have all kinds of parts functioning in the body of Christ. All of the parts of the body of Christ in the local church must be united with Christ. That's why for many of the roles and capacities that we have in the church that can be filled, those people must be first followers of Christ and second members of the church. That's why we do that. That's why there are some roles in the church that are, that are for members to hold and there are some that um, anybody can do and that there are some... Uh, that people who only have certain kinds of training can do, right? We have different roles in the church. But all of those people in all of those roles, especially the ones uh, in teaching, working with children, um, leadership, right? Those are reserved to folks who are united with Christ. The idea of unity is this, the state of being joined as a whole, the state of being in full agreement. Simply put, being united with Christ means knowing Christ as both Lord and Savior. So before, <laughs> before we get down the road in the rest of the being and doing statements, the most important thing that we need to understand is that for the body of Christ to function correctly in its local context of the church, we must have Jesus Christ personally, individually as our Lord and Savior. The first step Paul says very simply is to know Christ. It stands to reason that if church members have one Lord, one Savior, that is Christ, we will have this spirit of unity that's confounding to the world. Because I don't know if you've looked out there, there's not a whole lot of unity in our world. There's not a whole lot of unity in our culture. There's not a whole lot of unity. Thank you, sir. Not a whole lot of unity going on around us, is there? And the example of the church should show the world something that's different. It should show us functioning in unity. Take a look at, um, while I take a drink, 1 Corinthians 3. Thank you. 
1 Corinthians 3, Paul also writes there, saying, but I, brother, could uh, not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Now, he's addressing the church in Corinth. This is not a very pleasant statement. He's addressing the church saying, you are not spiritual people, but you are people of the flesh, infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. And even now you're not ready. You are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul did not mince any words with the church in Corinth, did he? He didn't say, good job, guys. You're, you're, you're unified. You're Christ followers who love God and love each other. He said, you are acting like people who are not in Christ. You are acting in a way that he puts, he says, a human way. Scripture also says a fleshly way. Uh, when any time you hear uh, in Scripture teaching and Paul or one of the others talks about the spirit and the flesh, he's drawing a, a picture of how the spiritual life looks and how the life that's led by self is going to look. And so here he's saying, you guys in the church are fleshly. You're acting in a human way. It looks like disunity. It looks like jealousy. It looks like quarreling and disagreement. This is the status quo, and this is how the world works. And Paul echoes Jesus' words here saying, it should not be so with you. In the church, you should be living in a spiritual way. So, of course, the first and most important step in the journey of being is being united with Christ. If you're united with Christ, you have unity of spirit with the Father. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But I want to take a step outside the message for a moment and say, if you're hearing this today and you're like, okay, I am not in unity with Christ. I don't ever remember a time in my life where I made a confession of faith, where I said, Father, forgive me for my sin, and in the name of Jesus Christ, save me. You can do that right now. If that's the thing, you're like, I've never done that before. I've just kind of, I've, I've gone to church, maybe I haven't gone to church, maybe this is my first time to church, maybe it's my first time I just tuned in on, online, and I'm listening, and I'm like, wow, okay, um, I need to be in Christ. How do I do that? Very simply, you go before the Father and confess your sin to Him. Father, I've sinned. Forgive me of my sin. Scripture says, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So call on the name of the Father. Father, I've sinned. Forgive me. In the name and in the power and in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, save me. Make me yours. And it says in Scripture that if you make that confession to the Father, He will save you, the old you will be gone, and there will be a new person, a new you, a you who begins to understand the spiritual things and begins to act in a spiritual way instead of in a human way, right? And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. He's saying, church, act in a spiritual way. Be connected to one another in the spirit. Now, the second being statement is this. Be of the same mind. Um, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's kind of this idea of being like-minded. So let's unpack real quickly the word like-minded. It means having a like disposition or purpose. 
being of the same mind, habit, or thought. Um, Americans, we are not very like-minded. We're very independent, aren't we? We're independent. We all think a little bit differently. We all feel a little bit differently. It is interesting to me that um, Scripture goes on and on about having the same mind. And in fact, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 16 goes even a step further. Let's read it together. It says, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand all things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Hang on with me here and listen to what it says. The natural person, that's the fleshly person, the, Paul, the, the person Paul said in, the, in 1 Corinthians that's acting in a human way, that person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, and he is not able to understand them as they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And then, I love this sentence, one of the most important, I think, in today's message. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, we, the body of Christ, we, uh, those who are in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. And we don't have to artificial, ar artificially manufacture this, this same mind agreement in the church. We're not talking about a weird cult thing here that everybody has to, uh, to agree to. Um, by the virtue of being filled with the Spirit and by being saved, the mind of Christ begins to grow in us. Which begs the question, why don't Christians agree more often? Why don't Christians agree more often? That should be, that'd be a great title for another message. And a question that I'm not going to answer for you today. This is the one I said there's going to be some difficult stuff you have to go home and think about and wrangle. If we have the mind of Christ, if we are supposed to live in unity with Christ as a body of local believers, why don't we agree more often? And I'm not saying there's an issue in the church necessarily. There's issues in every church of agreement and disagreement. But why don't Christians agree more often? Why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many kinds of churches? Why are there so many churches within the same denomination? Right? I'm going to let you think about that and ponder about that this week. We'll come back to that one another time. But it should leave you feeling a little unsettled. Go to the Father and seek Him on that. Maybe He will reveal to you that part of it is on you and on me. Maybe part of the reason that Christians haven't always agreed is because we're being sticks in the mud about our own thoughts and positions. And we're resisting the mind of Christ. The third being statement here, he says, be in full accord. And again, he reiterates, and of one mind. Having the same love, he says, be in full accord and of one mind. An accord is literally an agreement. You've ever heard anybody in, in kind of older writings earlier writings in the United States, writings in, in Europe, you, his, you would hear the phrase, they struck an accord. Anybody ever heard that? There was an, an accord has been reached. We don't really use that term anymore, um, but it means to bring into agreement. So a full accord 
would not mean that you just negotiated an a, a, a agreement, but that you were fully uh, agreeable to all the statements or all the statutes or all the parts of the agreement. So a full accord is to have full agreement. So when we read, when we read that, Paul's saying, have the same love and be in full agreement, having one mind. Again, that makes me think about that question I asked at the end of the last being statement, right? Read with me Romans uh, 15. Not all of it. Don't worry. Romans 15, 1 through 6. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in, not just in harmony, but in such harmony with one another, in accord, that is, in full agreement with Christ Jesus, that together, listen how this sounds, church, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church, all of us together in this local body, and in the church by extension, the 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 church in the world of Christ, we are to address the Father with one mind, one voice, one thought, one purpose. As we discussed last week in our message, and we talked on Wednesday night in our group, human nature is generally comfort-seeking. That's kind of just your default. That's, that's, I'm going to be honest. That's kind of my default, too. I think that's our general default. When we get done with work at night, we're like, man, what can I do to decompress and unwind and have a good time? And that's generally kind of how we approach life. We are comfort seeking. Let me tell you something. The Christian is not supposed to be comfort seeking. The Christian is not a comfort seeker. The Christian seeks the goodwill and the pleasing of others. In Scripture, Paul calls that person our neighbor. Let us each please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We are supposed to bear with, that is, to, 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 to deal with, to walk with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. But what do we do? We want to please ourselves. We want to seek comfort. Uh, we have a model in Christ. If you read that scripture we read a moment, again, uh, a moment ago again, it says, Christ did not please himself. He was the very pattern of if you will, and model of the Christian life by pleasing others, serving others. In fact, going so far as to give his life, his very life, for others. That by his sacrifice of his blood for sin and death and his rising again, we could be saved, not because of anything we did, but because of the benefit of the sacrifice that he gave on our behalf. What would have happened if Christ had been comfort-seeking? Do you remember? I didn't look up this verse, but it's in Scripture. Do you remember where it talks about um, that, that Jesus had no place to lay his head? 
Do you guys remember that verse? I, I can't recall all of it offhand, but it was like um, animals have their dens and birds have their nests, but Jesus has no place to lay his head. He was not a comfort-seeking person. He slept on a boat in the lake in a storm. He spent 40 days in the desert uh, out in the elements being tempted by Satan before he began his, his true uh, earthly ministry. I mean, this is a guy who always, not just most of the time, not just some of the time, always had everyone else's best interest at heart. Like Renee prayed today. Good job, Renee. Don't get a big head, though. <laughs> he is the, the very model, if you will, of someone who does everything for someone else. And sometimes we justify ourselves by saying, well, if I do everything for everybody else, they'll take advantage of me. Do you think people take advantage and have taken advantage of Christ? Absolutely. Do you think people, when you read the Gospels, do you see examples of people who took, uh, took uh, advantage of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. People do it all the time and every day. As a model, we have Christ. Not that we seek comfort for ourselves, but that we seek for the goodwill of the other, carrying the burdens of others just as Christ did. Now, he gives us these three being statements, and then he turns to four doing statements, and you sound like, wow, we're, we're, we're getting close on time, but we have already only done half the message. You're right. I think the rest of this will go pretty quick, but these four doing statements um, only work if the three being statements are true about your life. If you're doing stuff, but the being is untrue, then you're a hypocrite. You're just trying to manufacture stuff without having the benefit of the relationship with Christ and without the benefit of being of the same mind and without the benefit of being in full accord. So those things are a must. Those things are primary. First, you must be a Christ follower. You must be a Christ seeker. You must be open to knowing and following the will of God, being obedient to the mind of Christ before the doing comes into play. But, but um, not only are we comfort-seeking, but often in the Christian world, we're doers. <laughs> and we struggle with the being we want to do. In fact, there's whole systems of Christian, if you will, religions that are based on the doing, aren't there? I have to do this, and I have to give that, and I have to go to this service, and I have to be married in this building, and I have to be buried in this place. And if, all, if, if any of these things are out of whack, then somehow my, my very salvation and connection with God is somehow at risk because I didn't do things correctly. But the Christian life, <laughs> in, a, in an ironic turn to this message, is not about doing it's about being. Be connected with Christ. Be of a mind of Christ and, and, and be in unity with one another. Now, will doing come out of that? Absolutely. But it's got to come out from the right direction. You do because you've been. <laughs> You've been with the Father, you've been with the Son, you are with the Spirit, He's filled you, then do. 
So let's look at these do statements. Doing statements. First, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. There are a lot of wrong reasons to do stuff, aren't there? <laughs> Paul's going to talk about a couple. The first one is doing things out of selfishness. Selfishness, selfish literally means lacking consideration for others, being concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. Have you ever done anything out of those reasons? I have. I'm not proud of it, but if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we've all acted selfishly. Ambition is a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. This underscores, this, 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 this doing here really underscores our American way of doing things, doesn't it? We work hard for ourselves. We work hard for our families. We study hard. We save uh, in order to achieve our dreams. We spend hard <laughs> to buy the things we want, sometimes even to the point of spending money we don't have to get things that make us comfortable. We play hard to enjoy what we have earned and bought for ourselves. But Paul here is emphasizing this get versus give kind of philosophy that we have in life. And as Americans, we're typically involved with and concerned with getting, amassing, having stuff, having things, having comforts. Paul is trying to get us to look outside of this, to the giving, the giving of yourself. Remember the model of Christ who gave everything for you. Each of these statements, I've written an associated question. So you can write these down. Uh, so do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. The associated question for that is, why am I doing this? These are things you can ask yourself throughout the day, throughout the week, as you are navigating and journeying through this life, making complicated decisions about what to do and seeking the Father, but also being influenced by the world, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I? You can ask yourself and you can ask the Father, God, why, why am I doing this? He may say, you know what? You're being selfish here and you shouldn't be doing it. You should be doing this other thing. All right? So each of these doings has this associated question. That was the first one. Um, it is emphasized by James in chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Anybody? Let's be honest, right? You desire to do, um, you, you, sorry, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then one of the most disappointing statements, I think, in all of Scripture, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on yourself, to spend it on your passions. Have you ever done that before? Oh, God, please give me this money or this raise or this thing so that I can be happy. We ask the Father for things for the wrong reasons because we want to increase our comfort, increase our position, increase our status. We want to spend it on ourselves. So again, when you ask, when you do, when you serve, ask the question, why am I doing this? Doing number two, do nothing, he says, out of conceit. Some translations say vain conceit. So I'm going to look up and, and display for us 
the definitions of vain and of conceit. The word vain means lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. You know the song, You're So Vain. You probably think this song is about you. <laughs> I like that song. And it's true. We probably do think the song is about us. And we are concerned chiefly without the transformation of Christ with ourselves. Conceit means excessive pride in oneself. Excessive pride. So taken together, you have a person who is excessively proud and concerned only with their own profit and pleasure. And Paul says, don't be that person. Don't be that person. The associated question with this is, am I living as if this life were all about me? Am I living as though this life were all about me? You ever lived life like it was all about you? You know that song? It's all about me, Jesus. No, wait, that's not how it goes, is it? <laughs> Have we sang that song lately? We should sing that. It's an old song. Some of you know it. It's all about you, Jesus. Not about, it's not about us. It's not about me. But, but we, we sing it one way, but we live it the other, don't we? And that's what Paul's pointing out. He's like, uh, he, he's like don't be excessively proud of yourself. Don't be vain uh, and concerned with your own profit and pleasure, but instead serve others. Am I living this life as if it were all about me? The fourth, I'm sorry, the third um, doing as, it, as regards with unity is this. Do this with a humble spirit, he says. Do this with a humble spirit. I'm going to go back uh, and just read us uh, that verse again. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. So with a humble spirit, count others more significant than yourselves. You do this with humility. Now, if we uh, treat others like the scripture says, but then we're like, man, I'm good. Did you see what I just did for that guy? I, I, I gave up doing what I wanted to do. I gave up spending what I wanted to spend to help that person look how good I am. You ever done that? <laughs> it's tempting, right? It's tempting. And at one time or another, we've probably all done that. But Paul's saying, don't, don't do that. Church, don't do that. Family, don't do that. Individuals, don't do that. When you serve, serve secretly as best you can. Don't brag about it. Don't put your name up in lights and, oh, the accolades. Oh, Man of the year. Woman of the year. Well, wouldn't that be great? You know? No, that's not what it's about. Paul says, do this with a humble spirit. Let's look at the word humble. Humble means not proud. Not proud. It's the opposite of being proud. It's not proud. It's not thinking of yourself better than others. It's showing that you do not think of yourself better than other people. It's literally living as if other people are better than you, but without taking any credit for it, right? Paul sums up this point in Romans 12, 12, 16. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. I love that word. Do not be haughty. Don't be high and mighty. Don't be snobby, if you will, but associate with the lowly, those that are less than yourself. And never be wise in your own sight. <laughs> Ouch. 
right? You ever thought more about yourself than you really should? The associated question here is, do I think I'm better than those around me? Now, before you real quickly jump and say, oh, no, of course not, this is a real stumbling block for Christians. It really is. And, and, and if you haven't figured that out yet, let's just think it through for a minute. A lot of times, Christians will be like, well, I am saved, and the Lord has saved me, and I know better than you, which makes me better than you, and I think I have everything figured out for you. Any, you ever met any Christians like that? Yep. Have you ever been a Christian like that? Yep. Right? I mean, it's true. If we're not careful, we come off as, as haughty. And that's why Paul said, church, a warning. And he was speaking at that moment uh, to the church in Rome, but it fits for the church in Corinth, and it fits for the church in Philippi, and it fits for the church in Elmwood Park. Don't be haughty. Don't think more of yourself than you ought. We serve a lot of folks in the food pantry. Amen. I'm so happy about that. But don't think more of yourself about it. It's not, hey, we're, we're awesome. We're, well, no one else was doing it, so we did it. Look at us. We're great. No. <laughs> we don't, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't leave the church to do those kind of things for that reason. We do that because we're being obedient to the Father. We prayed and we said, Father, show us how this church can impact this community. Where are the holes? Where are the gaps? Where are the places we can serve others? Where are the places that we can, we can live out the words of Philippians by saying, uh, not me, Lord, but your will, and not us, but other people? How can we make other people better? How can we lift them up? How can we give them access to the things they need and also to the gospel that they need that they don't know they need? And we follow the Father in that, but we don't do it in a uh, prideful way. We do it in a humble way. So don't just miss that one too quick, Christian, because we fall into that one. We do. Do I think I'm better than those around me? Maybe put that, list at, put that question at the top of the list, <laughs> because we're not. We're not. Um, I always hate to, like, quote silly, you know, uh, um, trite phrases, but I love the idea that the Christian is just a beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. It helps us remember our status. We were broken, sinful, dirty, going to hell. But because God, <laughs> because he sent his son, we have this access to this salvation that is available for all, and we happen to have found it before another person who hasn't yet. That doesn't make us better. That doesn't make us more holy, more righteous. If anything, it gives us more responsibility to tell people about Christ. The last thing he says is do this in a selfless manner. This is in where he says, looking to the interests of others. We do this in a selfless manner, not a selfish manner. Selfless means concerned more with the needs and wishes of others rather than with one's own. Literally, it means unselfish. Unselfish. In speaking to the church in Galatia, in the book of Galatians 5.13, Paul says, you were called to freedom brothers, 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Over and over and over again in the epistles, those are the books that Paul wrote uh, and Peter wrote and John wrote and others wrote. Over and over again, they talk about serving and loving, serving and loving. Love others through serving others. The question here to ask is, am I being selfish? Am I being selfish? The answer is probably yes, (laughs) because we are. And it's easy to default into selfishness. Now, unity in the church is one of those things that's always a little ethereal. It's always a little, it's hard to get a grip on. It's hard to, 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 to see it. You, you know it when you have it, and it's great when you have it. But it's hard to diagnose <laughs> when you don't. In these four per- verses, Paul has given us very clear directions about unity, and he breaks down how we can see it blossom in our church as we become obedient to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, you've given us a lot to think about in that passage, a lot to unpack, and even left us with a couple of unsettling uh, questions about uh, Christianity in general and ourselves specifically. And so, Lord, as we, I, I pray that we'll struggle with these. I pray that we will think about these things. I pray that we'll ask ourselves these four questions uh, again and again. Am I selfish? Do I think I'm better than those around me? Am I living as if this life is all about me? And why am I doing this? Lord, as we work through the being part and coming to faith and following you and learning to listen and, and being transformed to be an obedient follower of Christ, and we turn to the doing things. I pray, Father, that you will lead us individually and as a church family to do things for the right reason. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for Paul. We thank you that he wrote the church in Philippi and Galatia and Rome and Ephesus and the other places, Lord, to, to, to correct inconsistencies in the church that he knew existed then and would exist today. Lord, it's a big ask. And it's a big prayer, but I ask, Father, you teach us to look to you and to communicate to you and to follow you and to be a church of one mind, of one accord, in unity, listening and following you obediently and serving the community of Elmwood Park Uh, and the greater communities in Illinois, United States, and around the world as you lead us and direct us and guide us to the things you want us to do for your purposes and that, Lord, we (laughs) we will never be prideful, that we will be humble and that when people say, oh, yeah, that's that's that church, we can always point back to God, can always point back to the Father and say, yeah, there's some great stuff happening there because God is present because the Spirit is leading, because Jesus Christ is in the hearts and lives of his people there. They're different for a reason, but not for the reason you think. Not because they're good, but because they're obedient and because they're saved. Lord, I pray that for ourselves, for our church, for those who are here today, those who are at home, those who are away, and those who are yet to come. You lead us to be the kind of church that reflects 
uh, all that you designed the church to be. Lord, we love you and we honor you in this. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.